What's going on, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement, and hopefully one day, hopefully one day soon, a true proletarian revolution. Um, If this is your first time stopping by, I'd like to say thanks. Uh, It really does mean a lot. I've been trying to pump out content as much as I can. I'm trying not to just put out shit for the sake of putting out shit, but every time I learn about something new, every time I have a new topic on my mind, I'm quite isolated, uh, and I don't really have too many folks to discuss these things with, uh, at least not every single day. So that's where you guys come in. So... (laughs) I hope you've been enjoying the stuff I've been putting out. Um, If, you know, you've been listening for a bit and you don't really like the style of how I do the show, you haven't uh, felt that I've covered necessary topics, um, please go ahead and reach out to me. You can find me on my social medias. You can DM me there. Uh, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, you can also email me if you, you know, rather do a long form of here's why, uh, you're a jackass and I think you should stop doing your podcast. Um, you can reach out at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. No caps or spaces in that. So today I am looking to talk to you about why it is very difficult for us as individuals to break from what is called the dominant paradigm. Now, the dominant paradigm is a phrase used to kind of describe the overwhelming uh, majority-believed picture of the world. Now, there's a few different ways that uh, we look at the world. There's a few different ways that we analyze the world. Um, And there's a few different ways that we are made to see the world in a certain way. So let's talk about this. So like I said, The dominant paradigm is what the majority of people believe about the world around them. This is difficult to really pinpoint or to explain because there is so much about our day-to-day lives that we could call social constructs. Now, social constructs are usually used as one-offs in a psychology or philosophy class when you don't have a full-fledged argument to prove your point, you can simply turn and say, well, that's just a social construct. But a social construct is more than just a random idea that people believe. A social construct is more than just the generally accepted ideology. A social construct is militantly and continuously built. A social construct is something 
that the dominant forces within society create, multiply, and use to uh, convey certain things about the reality around us that may or may not be true, but are useful to serve the interests of those who are forming the dominant paradigm, the ruling class. The ruling class is, as we discussed in one of my most recent episodes, it is not an amalgamous being. It is not one rigid caricature of uh, a certain, you know, kind of frame or form of action, of being. Being a member of the ruling class takes many different forms. You have many different groups which contend for true ruling power above one another. You have the wealthy, elite capitalists and corporations. You have the massive banking firms. You have the military contractors, private weapons manufacturers and military generals. And then you also have the governments, the ruling class governments of each nation, which are usually comprised of a mix of the other three. However, they are not usually in entire agreement. And this is what I really want to talk about. The dominant paradigm, what the most accepted ideology is expresses itself in all different uh, forms of study when we look at history we often see from one history book to another a different paradigm that is trying to fight for dominance it is trying to fight to be accepted whether that is a book on the American Revolution from the pro-revolution standpoint or if it's a book on the American Revolution from a counter-revolutionary standpoint. Analyzing the American Revolution as in fact a counter-revolution. When we read about scientific discoveries there is quite possibly a bias that is involved. For example, when technology companies find out that things like cobalt or lithium can be used instead of oil or gas to power their cars, to power different mining tools, to power their other machinery, there is a bias here. There is a bias that this scientific discovery is not something for the people of these places to be excited about when, you know, when huge, huge uh, technology firms find out there's a trillion dollars worth of green resources lying underneath where the Afghanistan people are, that is not 
than a historic discovery for the Afghan people. In fact, it is quite usually, and especially in this case, as we've all kind of assumed, this is actually a quite terrifying discovery. Now, it would not be if we lived in a world that was not predicated on the ruling class abuse and exploitation of the working and oppressed class. But in fact, we do find ourselves in this society. We do find ourselves in this circumstance. When you study the development of human beings and of nature, if you hold that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were the cultivators of the world that we live in, that God created the heavens and the earth, as well as everything on the earth, in seven days, and everything since those seven days that is here has always been here, then there is a definite break from the dominant paradigm of evolution. And this is shown in many cases to be a foolish conclusion. Because if this is the case, why do we have so much evidence to prove the contrary? And this is why the dominant paradigm needs to constantly be built on top of itself. You see this even in presidential elections during campaigns. You see this when presidents or administration officers are asked questions about things like active conflict, uh, breakouts of police violence, uh, how the COVID crisis is being handled. You see them flip and flop between what will make the people or uh, which, what will make the people calm or appease the people at the time they are being asked. And so oftentimes you see examples of just about every president that's ever been in office from one year to the next completely contradicting themselves. It's not because they're idiots. It's not because they're hypocritical assholes. It's because they are intentionally manipulating the minds of those of us who have the ability to have our minds manipulated. Now, this is not some you know, conspiratorial thing where I'm like, oh, the lizard people, they're taking over the mines and if you just wear this aluminum foil around your brain, their radiation can't get into your noggin. No, it's quite clear that in a society such as ours, where the amount of inequality that exists is larger than at any period of time in historical development, it is quite necessary to try to be able to convince people that this is okay, that this is going to get better, and that this should be the way that it is, that it is not that big of a deal, right? 
Well, not for nothing. I think most of us, whether we have had to come to these understandings through conscious and militant struggle, or if we were born on the side of the coin that suffers because of this inequality, we might have been born with some form of a knowledge of this through our very experiences. This creates a few different issues which we on the left need not simply be discussing but must be theorizing and enacting plans to combat this. The first issue that it creates is just widespread propaganda, obviously. There is so much misinformation, not only about socialism and communism, but about the day-to-day happenings of the United States of America. We have so much misinformation about certain programs like USAID and what their mission is. We have so much misinformation about the military and police forces, their objectives, what purpose they serve, their necessity. We are lied to about all of these things. And it takes years, years before documentation meets the public's eye. But these pieces of information do become available. And so many of us are just simply unwilling to go look at them. We are unwilling, and now of course this is predicated on the fact that someone or something has pointed out the contradictions within society to us, and we still choose not to do anything about it. There are so many on the left who are so incredibly misinformed about the history of the Soviet Union, about the development of the Cuban Revolution, about the ideology and actions of Marxists, Marxist-Leninists, Marxist-Leninist-Maoists. They have a complete misconception about the state. They have a totally lacking philosophical, historical, and dialectic perspective of the world. And this is important because this flows in to being a feedback loop for the incorrect propaganda. You cultivate a mind, you cultivate a person who obeys, who listens, who agrees and does not question, and then you feed it full of the information that you want it to believe. Why do you think so many of us leave high school, leave college, get awoken to the world around us and go, well, I was never taught this in high school. I was never taught this in college. It must not be true. Oh, yeah, that's the most likely scenario. This piece of evidence that has an incredible amount of factual, uh, uh, pinpointable evidence, This, these documentations of, for example, like, what happened in gulags? Hey, The CIA declassified the documentation about the gulags almost 30 years ago. Those of you who are still to this day saying 
that Stalin was an awful dictator who sent all of his enemies and everyone he disagreed with to the gulags to be gassed like they were in concentration camps. First and foremost, you're historically incorrect. Second of all, your inability to recognize how incredibly insensitive it is to compare the plight of those who had to endure the Holocaust to those who lived in a Soviet society. It's incredibly insensitive. Not only because it's ahistorical, but it also completely nullifies and kind of atomizes the suffering of the Jewish, the Roma, the Black, the uh, Asiatic, and the communists, socialists, and anarchists who had to die awful deaths. Six million people had to die awful deaths. And the only information, the only thing you can do with that knowledge is basically cultivate in your own mind that stupid book on totalitarianism about how the Soviet Union and about communism is the exact same thing as fascism. That is precisely the mindset that is to be cultivated in the brains of those who will then continue, whether begrudgingly or not, the status quo. Mark Fisher talks about this quite frequently. He says capitalist realism has cultivated a mindset which essentially tells us that as long as we are anti-capitalist in spirit, as long as we know why capitalism and imperialism are bad, and as long as we acknowledge that, then we are perfectly okay to continue participating within these systems and within these structures. This is quite uh, clearly anti-revolutionary. Not just because I say so, but speaking historically, you have to figure, okay, I don't really like what's going on. I don't like society as it is. I don't like the exploitation. I don't like the racism. I don't like the inequality. I don't like the imperialism and the occupational abuses of uh, colonized peoples. Once you get to that point, right, then you have to start asking yourself, well, I don't like this. So what is it that I would prefer that we do? And you might make your way to all kinds of different theories, whether you go over to the Milton Friedmans, whether you go over to Peter Kropotkin, or whether you go over to Lenin and Marx, or uh, you get philosophical and you go to uh, Spinoza, or you go to, unfortunately, folks like Jordan Peterson, or if you go to folks like Slavov Zizek to try to get an understanding of the world around you. This is a period we all find ourselves in after we begin to recognize the kind of, um, again, contradictions within the society we live in. So this society, again, is actively being built around us. And the mindset to be able to keep the society as it is 
is necessary to cultivate in the minds of the citizens and participants of that society because, of course, as we know, then they will continue participating in that society. Again, even those of us who aren't necessarily communists or socialists probably go to work every day and go, I fucking hate this. I wish I didn't have to work every day. But do they go, okay, what can I do to understand the relationship that is cultivated in my work and begin to try to combat that? And how is it that my society as a whole dictates that I and the rest of humanity must work for 60 to 70 percent of our weeks, 60 to percent, 60 to 70 percent of our lives uh, in a job which, A, quite usually has no real practical use other than to uh, supply a consumer market. Um, And on top of that, these jobs usually do not pay well. These jobs usually do not offer benefits of any kind. These jobs usually require uh, an incredible amount of commitment. They require you to miss family gatherings. They require you to miss holidays so that you can work. They require you to uh, put aside the rest of your life for a job which, again, does not provide. Even folks who recognize that they're getting the fucking short end of the stick they can come to the conception that, okay, this is bad. This shouldn't continue. But then the next necessary step, if we are actually true, um, I don't want to say believers because we're not religious here, but if we truly do have these principles, these doctrines to stand against capitalism, to stand against imperialism, to stand against oppression, then we cannot continue on a day-to-day basis just simply participating in the society at large. We have to be cultivating some way or another organizations, movements, Actions, demonstrations to combat this society, to combat this dominant paradigm. But we also have to realize, and this is the main point of why I wanted to record this, we also seriously need to realize that we cannot battle it out in the marketplace of ideas and expect that our ideology, the ideology which in every corner of our society is propagandized and agitated against, we must recognize then that we do not have, we do not find ourselves to have a strong enough force to combat the dominant paradigm. Now, 
I want to make sure this does not get misconstrued. Academia, the process of polemics, the debates within schools, the use of language, of literature, of journalism, all of these things are so incredibly crucial. They play such an important role in combating this dominant ideology. But we must recognize that at every step that we take towards changing the dominant ideology will be met with reaction. Now this reaction is not just simply who's go- someone who's going to post something on YouTube. This reaction is not simply someone who's going to comment under your post. But this reaction will be militant and forceful revocation of said media. They will suppress YouTube videos. They will erase and, uh, uh, oh, what's it called? Shadow ban TikToks, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter posts, which get too much traction, which cause too many questions. They will banish people from universities. They will blacklist them from academia. They will not publish their books. They will not produce their TV shows. This is why things like Means TV, Foreign Language Press, and other uh, grassroots organizations like People's Dispatch who are trying with all their might to fight against the ruling class's ideology, which convinces the masses that their suffering is necessary, that their struggle will build character, that their pain is due to a moral inequality due to a ethical and value-based I don't even know what words I want to use but basically we are convinced that we are poor because of something that is wrong with us we are lazy, we are stupid we are ignorant we are stubborn we are X, Y, and Z but we're never according to them exploited According to the ruling class, we are never oppressed. We are never facing a wall in a hard place, trying just to have a roof over our head, trying just to be able to live our lives as human beings and not appendages to machines. This ability is lost and combated militantly, not just in form, not just to say disciplined, but by military force. 
They even convince us that the use of incredible, incredible brutality on the citizens of this country, the indigenous peoples of this land, and people all across the world, they tell us this is to spread democracy. But I ask two things. First of all, what good has this democracy brought to us in the United States? What good has this democracy given us in the last 250 years? And the follow-up question that will really reframe our thinking is democracy for who? Because you and I do not enjoy the same democratic rights as the individuals who work in the state, who are military officials, who are police officers, who are judges and legislators, representatives, senators, congresspeople. We do not, we do not receive the same democratic nor human rights. We are told that we are free. We have liberty in this country. But as we know, that freedom only extends so far. That liberty is only the liberty to survive or to starve. This is the freedom which we are allotted here in the United States. We are allowed to work for the rest of our lives. We are allowed to struggle to afford housing. We are allowed to pay incredible co-payments, insurance bills, etc. just to be able to seek medical treatment. What good is such a free democratic society which offers no freedom and no democracy for the very people who build this society, for the very people who have built the wealth and provided the means to become so empowered to the ruling class. Who has built this society for our oppressors? Who has labored and given over everything that they could ever have, that they could ever own simply to hope to be able to live a decent life. And those of us who are making our way into the workforce, making our way into military service or university careers, we see no future. We see no guarantees. We see 70, 80, 90 year olds working. We see people on the side of the road holding up signs, begging for a meal, just something to eat, oftentimes less than a mile away from a store full of food that no one will give these people, that no one will give these people money to go get. And again, we must recognize here it is not our purpose to simply help people make it by 
in such a repressive society. Our goal is revolution. Our goal is the eradication of this oppression, of this suffering, of these struggles. We cannot just simply write books, make podcasts, have individual conversations. We must use every opportunity that we have to be able to not only spread information, but build organizations. Kwame Ture, many others since him, have made incredible points to say, we need not movements. We need organizations. We need to not just ideologically combat these structures, but materially. We must build workers' unions. We must build poor and homeless organizations. We must build councils of representatives of the very suffering and oppressed people themselves to be able to dictate and decide how society goes about combating their struggles and eradicating their oppression because it is possible, because it is necessary. And because if we don't do it, if we do not build these material components which can impact the lives of the billions of suffering people on this planet today, then it doesn't matter how correct our take is. It doesn't matter how many times we post podcasts. It doesn't matter how many views on YouTube we get. And it doesn't matter how many likes on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or Twitter we receive. The people are still suffering. The people are still without homes, without food, without health care, and especially without power. Because Kwame Ture, again, makes it very clear in his book from 1968, I want to say, called Black Power, The Politics of uh, Black Liberation in America. We need political power. We need organizations which are capable of combating the ruling class. We need militant forces which are ready and able to overthrow the military forces that occupy and oppress us today. If we do not have this, it doesn't matter how great our ideas are, they will kill us. They will suppress our books. They will erase us from history. We have to make history. We need to make revolutionary history. And to do so, we need to use the history which they have tried to suppress. We have to use the ideas of those who have come before us, who have implemented those ideas, which have been tested against the material reality and have won out. We need to study the Paris Commune. We need to study the Russian Revolution. We need to study the Chinese Revolution. And we need to use each and every piece of information, every tool at our exposure, every avenue which is available to us to not only propagandize and educate, but to emancipate, to liberate, and to revolutionize 
the working and oppressed people's realities. We need a revolution. We need the dictatorship of the proletariat. We need scientific socialism. Because even though these ideas, these systems, these structures, and these histories have proven that there is not just purely good found in these things, there is never, ever purely good or bad found in anything. We must not condemn these revolutions for their mistakes, but we must learn from them. And we must learn quickly, my friends, because today we see across the world that the ruling class is attempting a final solution to the class struggle from above. We see the incredible amounts of oppression and repression which come against the oppressed and working people of the world. We see how fascism is on the rise now that neoliberalism has proven incredibly incapable of doing even what the ruling class wanted. Surely did it extract an incredible amount of wealth and power from the working and oppressed people? Yes. But just like every single time another police officer kills a black or brown or indigenous person, every single time we bomb a country, every single time we take funds from social services, we are providing the people with more knowledge, more examples, more opportunities for radicalization. As much as these governments will try to repress us, they will only give our voices more strength. They will only add to our numbers. But we must not be foolish and think numbers alone predicate the ability to wage a successful revolution. These numbers need to be organized. These numbers need to be militant. And these numbers need to be communists. They need to be Marxists. They need to be revolutionaries. Because there is no point in time where hesitancy, where reformism, where opportunism can be found within a successful revolution. We know from history's past what comes of such ideas. So my friends, today, take this with you. Do not only combat the dominant paradigm in the marketplace of ideas on Facebook, on Instagram. Do not just sit behind your computer and argue with people. We know nothing comes of this. We know this. So we must instead use that energy and cultivate councils, organizations, groups, unions of people who are suffering, who want to see their suffering change, who want to know how to make their suffering change, and who are willing and able to do everything that it takes by any means necessary to liberate not only themselves, because this is not a fight for our liberation. This is not a fight for my liberation. This is a fight for the working and oppressed people's 
liberation. That is the liberation of the people of the world. That is the liberation of the proletariat. That means that at every turn, at every opportunity, we cannot ignore a single person's suffering or struggling. We must connect every single form of oppression to its class basis. We must envelop in our ranks every oppressed and struggling working person. We must cultivate an environment which will bring in all of those fighting for true freedom, for true proletarian democracy. We have to cultivate a political weapon, a powerful force, which not only is able to eradicate, and I mean burn it down, I mean to ashes, the ruling class structures, I mean completely wipe from the face of the earth anything that is merely capable, only in the smallest amount, to give air, to give spark, to give energy to such ideas, to such oppressive rule and practices. And in order to do that, we cannot just simply all be against something. We must all be for something. We must be cultivating revolutionary organizations, fighting for revolution, scientific socialism, an end to property rights, an eradication of the capitalist mode of production and appropriation, an end to imperialism and colonialism all over the world. Not just in the countries that you don't like, but also in the country which has granted you the privileges of such a well-off life in comparison to those who your country is exploiting in order to give you those privileges. Now, I'm not saying that those of us in the Imperial Corps are not oppressed or that we are not struggling. But we must recognize that our struggles and our suffering is predicated on the extreme abuses of the global south. And therefore, if we truly want to be free, we have to make sure everyone is free. No person can be truly liberated while there are still people in shackles in this world. There is still a system at large which is allowing this to continue. There is still a system at large which is being enacted upon by ruling class powers. And so therefore, it is our mission as communists, as socialists, as revolutionaries, and as Marxists to fight full-fledged to the very logical conclusion of the capitalist system which is its own demise through the grave diggers which it made itself it did not pay well enough to even dig its own graves and so we must see its conclusion its eradication its erasure as a system from the entire world to its logical conclusion meaning flowing from the suppressive rule of the few over the many into its clear and logical opposite in order to eliminate the very class antagonisms, the very inequality between these few and the many, and instead put the rule of the many over the few. This is the only way which a system such as ours can be 
revolutionized and can be manipulated into cultivating a truly egalitarian society. But first, it will take time. And first, it will take effort. And first, it will take mistakes. It will take accidents. It will take missteps. It will take long and tireless effort. It will take an incredible amount of generations before any of this is truly erased from the world. Because as Marx said, speaking about capitalism's development out of feudalism, it is still stamped with the birthmark of the old society. It is impossible to erase history. It is impossible to erase the world which our history has created. It is impossible to erase the systems and structures which exist today because of that history. And so therefore, we must not simply ignore this. We must not simply try to do the exact opposite, but we must understand its origins. We must understand the good and the bad in everything. We must think dialectically about the way in which things form their contradictions and how they can be revolutionized and reinvigorated into not simply a tool of repression, but a tool of revolution. There are things in our society which are used by the ruling class in order to oppress the working class that the working class needs to lay hold of in order to oppress in order to oppress the former ruling class. This is the state. We need the power that this grants us in order to work together. Administrate this government, this society, run the economy, run the culture, change the world around us, not by an individual group, not by a small coalition of similar-minded individuals, but by the very people themselves through long-standing and continuous ideological struggle, education, propaganda, skills training, and by the very practice of these ideas in the real world. Not just simply saying, this is a good idea, we should try this, we should practice this, but in fact, here is the idea, let us implement it, you need to learn, so now you will come and administrate with us. This is the goal of a true scientific socialist revolution, and so this is what we must be aiming for, again, There's a dominant paradigm here. We cannot just simply argue with the people who write the checks that allow PragerU to be one of the largest media producers at this time. We need not just simply demonstrate against the government officials who will simply lock us in prison for speaking out. Like Mumia Aljabal, Al-Jamal, excuse me, um, like uh, Kevin Rashid uh, Johnson, excuse me, Mumia Abu-Jamal, I knew I said that wrong. Um, We can't just stand up against the biggest military powers and say, we don't want you to do nuclear war. We don't want you to do military occupation anymore. We have this petition, and so you got to stop. We need to sign the petition, and we need to stand in front of them and say, we want you to stop. 
But we also want to be able to stand in front of them and say, here's what's going to happen if you don't stop. And be able to convey a threat of force which can truly be able to combat the ruling class powers. This is the only way that we can actually impact the dominant paradigm. And this means, my friends, we need to be building revolution, not just great ideas, not cool organizations, not third parties, but we need to be building revolution through each one of these means. They cannot be a means in themselves. They must be a means to an end. Our end being revolution. And our revolution can no longer be something which we put on the horizon. Our revolution is not something we can say, when the masses are ready, we will have it. The masses are ready. The masses need to be told, here's why you're ready. Here's what you need to be ready against. Here's who you need to be ready for. And here's who you need to be ready to take out. The masses have been ready for years. They have been oppressed. They have been suffering. They have been dying. They have been starving. Because us, the supposed revolutionaries, the supposed communists of the West, sit and twiddle our thumbs. We have a fantastic panel. But we do not arm those who come to the panel. We have fantastic YouTube discussions. But we do not use those as tools to build organizations. Where is our revolution, my friends? When will it come? If we say, not until we're long gone, well then we have decided for ourselves that this is the case. Let us not build self-fulfilling prophecies. Let us build revolution. This is the only way which we can see the end to the oppression that the people that we say we care about, that we say we want to help, that we say we have solidarity with, yet do nothing for. This is the only way that they will see a truly free, a truly liberal, a truly democratic life. And of course I mean liberal in the sense not of this idiotic ideology which tells you the, rep, the, the, the communists and the fascists are the same. Not this liberalism that says, well, America has it bad, but it's much worse, much worse elsewhere. But we need a liberal society that says, you are a human being. We need a society built on liberty, the freedom to live, not the freedom to die. We need a revolution, my friends, and we need it now. If you are still listening, I thank you very much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I hope this means anything to you, and I hope you will spread it on sincerely. Please, my friends, we need to actually impact material reality, not just simply talk about it.